0: Well, please take your Bibles and open them. I just don't have the heart to start a class without saying, "Please take your Bibles." And <laughs> just how can I do it? I made a promise. I'm never going to teach a class where I don't start out saying, "Please take your Bibles and turn to." Um, the only problem with the, tonight is I'm going to be. Um, we're going to. Um, we're going to be, basically. Re- I'm not sure what we're going to do. I'm going to think of something in just a minute, okay? I'm getting there. No, tonight we're going to uh, review, in a sense. Um, so I want to welcome you, and this is going to be the final class in this series. Not unless, not unless something happens tonight that prompts me to say, "Oh dear, we 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 need to do one more." The problem with that is. Um, if we do one more, it won't be next Wednesday. Next Wednesday I'll be in Franklin, Tennessee celebrating my dad's birthday, his 87th birthday, so I'll be there with dad. And as a matter of fact, I just dropped Karen off at the airport. She is, she just landed in Dallas and she's going to be playing Nana for the next few days. She will fly into, I will fly out of, Colorado Springs on Monday morning. She'll fly into Colorado Springs on Monday afternoon, and so I won't see her until next Friday. But you guys don't worry about me. I should, I should be okay. Um, he's a real good cook. <laughs> he's pretending like he's not. He's got. He's listening to music right now. He's got his. He's got his headphones on. Look at him. So this, this, we have actually spent eight weeks in this series, and I couldn't remember when I started it, and I didn't feel like taking time to look on the calendar. It may have been late November, but what happened was we had Thanksgiving break, and then we had two or three Wednesdays of Christmas break, and then we've had a snow break, maybe two snow breaks, that uh, snow days, you might call them. And so this is kind of stretched out, and... Um, a number of you have not been here consistently every single time so uh you've missed some of it well, um it is it is basically this has basically been a study um in two different books in in the in the new testament in first corinthians and in in first timothy and we've looked primarily at two passages in 1 Corinthians, which, which basically was, we did an overview of 1 Corinthians. Because really, you, in order to understand a passage, you want to kind of see it in its larger context. And so we did a, what I enjoyed to be just a, familiarizing ourselves with the overview of 1 Corinthians. But that was primarily what we might call, I guess you'd call it a historical overview in the sense of... Um, What was going on in Corinth? And so we we spent some time looking in chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians and just unpacked some of the thoughts there. And Then we spent some time in 1 Corinthians 14 and and worked with some thoughts there. And then we went to 1 Timothy chapter 2. And I enjoyed that because I just enjoyed studying the Bible and talking about it with people. But we we just looked at the whole message of 1 Timothy in its larger context and its historical context to see... What 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 was the occasion? What prompted Paul to to write Timothy? And then we zoomed in and we looked at chapter two, and we did a, a pretty thorough study of of uh, First Timothy chapter two. And then in that context, we then zoomed into that that the, that passage that um, speaks about women and and their. Um, the challenges that were there in the church in Ephesus, and so, and that's basically the theme that we're looking at. Or these are lessons on on women's role, but it's specifically as it relates to um, their involvement in the assembly. And I'm saying that as far as our assemblies here, and specifically in the role of speaking, because that has been such a controversy, such a challenge that has been so divisive, um, and still is. And so tonight. We have we pretty much worked through all those those passages. We've finished with that. Okay, so tonight, what we really want to do is just ask the question of of relevance and and what does this mean for us? We've already asked, uh, what did it say and what did it mean and what did it mean for them and what was the message? How, how does this play out in our East Side Church family? Um, what does it mean for us practically? Uh, so we want to ask that question and give you a chance to ask your questions and make whatever comments or um, disagreements or rebuttals. That's that, And it's okay if, if you have those. This is a safe place for us to have those conversations. Now, in order for us to do that, and since some of us have come more sporadically, um, what I will do tonight is, I'm not going to go over everything, but I'm going to give a brief review of each of those passages that we've looked at. So, um, and then... After that, um, I'll make some general observations from those, and then we're going to open up for questions. Just so what what are some questions that bring up, and how does that how, how does that look here? And whatever questions that you have, okay? I just would be it'd be terrible if this was over and you go, you know, I came to that class and I, I never heard this, or I I really this was my question and that was never really answered. Tonight you'll get your questions answered if you'll ask them, because we got some really smart people in here. Um, so our first passage that we looked at, this is a brief review, okay, was in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and it was in verses 3 through 16, and Paul was addressing a problem of some people in the church, and primarily uh, it was women in that particular chapter, in chapter 11, and they were being contentious. They were stirring up trouble in the church, and specifically, the problem that Paul identified is that they were praying and prophesying without a head covering, and so Paul addresses this problem as we studied. We spent a lot of time working through this passage. He addressed the problem, and he gave them instructions, and I think the thing that I really wanted to emphasize when we spent time looking there is that... um, Paul did not tell them to stop speaking because they shouldn't be speaking in the assembly. He didn't tell them that. He didn't say, you're praying and prophesying, that's not supposed to be happening. He did not tell them not to do it, but he told them how to do it, which I think is, is quite, quite eye-opening. And, and as I remember when I first saw this, I thought, how in the world did we miss this over the years? Um, and so we've since spent some time looking in the Old Testament, the New Testament, at At um, prophecy and women who were involved in prophecy, and we saw that it was a gift that was given to men and women, and there was not to be there was not a a restriction of women can use it like this, but not like this. Um, And so, Paul in in this in this uh, chapter we looked at, he said, if if you're going to speak in this way, you need to wear a head covering. If you're going to pray and uh you you need to wear a head covering and the purpose of the head covering, and that's kind of complicated because we don't live in that culture, so we had to kind of work through some of that. But it's basically the head covering was a way to show respect and to show regard for the roles and distinctions of men and women as then was established by their culture. But also, what I believe that text shows is it was a way of showing the roles and, and, and distinctions of men and women as is as established even by God in something of, a, I see a divine order there, not of equality, but just of roles and relationships. And so there were women that were just disregarding that. They just didn't care um, about that at all. And um, so, and then and I also mentioned, of course, of, of, question there we talked about this somewhat there's not complete agreement but this was my opinion that I do believe that this is addressing an assembly where you have men and women together and so you have men and women uh, together and women were praying and prophesying in the presence of men in a a church setting and so um, my main point there was women were speaking we've had this restriction that they're not allowed to they actually were we see here in the church in Corinth, they were praying and they were prophesying and they were told how to do it. They clearly were not being forbidden of it. So that's 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And that's not one of the restriction passages, but when you see that, you, it helps you interpret the next two passages in light of that. So that's 1 Corinthians 11. We then went <clears throat> to 1 Corinthians chapter for a team. and again Paul wasn't going oh, oh that's right we need to let them know women aren't supposed to talk in church there was a problem and he's addressing a problem and in, in, in every one of these passages he there's a, it's a corrective there's something wrong that needs to be corrected and the problem in the church in Corinth also they had multiple problems if you read 1st and 2nd Corinthians um, so um, the problem is that is that, and this is chapters 12 through 14, and we kind of looked at the larger book, the whole letter, and then those three chapters. Those three chapters, there was chaos, and there was disorder in the assembly. And um, this was huge, a huge problem to God, because as it says, God is not a God of disorder. And so it, it was contrary to the very nature and character of God. When you come together and worship, this does not represent and reflect the very nature of who God is. And... Um, and it was defeating the purpose you come together for these particular purposes you 're not achieving them by your chaos and disorder in the assembly. This chaos and disorder needs to stop, and so he 's addressing the various aspects. most of it was all surrounding the in, the um, instrumental music. Where did that come from? It was the spiritual gifts it was surrounding their misuse and their abuse of spiritual gifts, and it was just crazy and crazy and chaotic. And in the midst of that, there was also contributing to the chaos and distracted things that were happening in the church. There were some women that were um, contributing to it, and I think in two different ways. He he uses the word submission, so therefore there was a um, a lack of, there was a disregard for authority there was a not a spirit of humility in the way that they were carrying themselves they were coming across very domineering and very authoritative and one of the ways in which they were doing that um, secondly was that they were loudly evidently loudly blurting out questions in the assembly and this was disrupted this was distracting and and so Paul speaks to this to correct this, and he says to these women who are acting in this disorderly way that they need to be silent in in this disorder and the chaos and, and but it's not just to these women, you guys who are speaking in tongues like this, you guys who are prophesying out of turn or all together, one need to sit down, the other needs to be silent, so there are many who are corrected for and and told to be silent but it wasn't never speak when you're together but you need to be silent when you're when you're being disruptive and chaotic in the assembly so first corinthians 14 the point that we concluded there was that it's not as we have as our I don't believe as our practice has evolved into interpreting this passage this was not a total ban on women not speaking but it was a correction of women speaking in a disorderly and disrespectful and arrogant manner, uh, if they're speaking in this ways, they need to be quiet. They need to be silent, you might say. So that's passage number two that we spent time in. <clears throat> passage number three is we went to First Corinthians uh, 1 Timothy chapter two. and again. He's addressing a problem in the church in Ephesus. The church has always had problems because the church has always had people. Um, If you look at the larger context of 1 Timothy, we spent time doing that. We saw that uh, from beginning to end, there were people in Ephesus there in 1 Timothy. They were teaching and speaking in controversial, divisive, disruptive, heretical ways. And Paul addresses this to Timothy and says, hey, you need to do something about this. Sadly, clearly, there were some women who were participating in that, who were a part of uh, this divisive, heretical, teaching and saying things that they had no clue what they were teaching they were saying. There were obviously in chapter five, we saw widows who had tons of idle time who had become busybodies and were stirring up trouble in the church. And um, there were women who were just basically had become quite bossy and domineering, and arrogant, and prideful, and authoritative, likely that was a carryover from the female, um, Drew, do you have something you want to say there, okay, (laughs) he and Carrie are having a fun time, when I got to the bossy domineering part, they're having a fun time, that's not you darling, of course not, um, (laughs) That likely was a carryover from the was it the temple of Artemis or Diana where women were very domineering. She was the goddess of that area and all these priestesses ruled in the temple. Some were converted, came to the church and brought that baggage in, possibly you saw that. And so Paul says to these women, to this behavior, he says um he tells them to be silent, which actually Everywhere else that word is used, it's translated as peaceful and to settle down and to be still, not to be ban on words. And so, again, I don't believe First Corinthians, 1 Timothy 2, a passage we've used, they say, see, there's not to be women say anything in assembly. Uh, he's telling them to be silent or to, be, or to settle down and be peaceful, not an absolute ban on speaking, but be rather, rather to be quiet in ways that show a lack of submission, a disregard for others, um, for others for men and for their role in the church in ways that were domineering and bossy or in ways that were spreading slander and and heresy in the church that 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 needs to be silenced so those are those three passages uh that's just a a brief review um now, now you can, you can jump in wherever you want. I'm going to give some general observations from, from what I, I see that we've learned there, and then I'll just open it up for questions. And if you don't have any, then I've got questions that I've heard you ask along the way that I may bring up. My general observations here from, from all of this that we've studied, um, now I'm a bit, a bit repetitive, but just to emphasize the point, the problem with these passages, it was not that women were speaking, but it was how in all of these cases, he's correcting the how. Um, and so I think, I think that that's that's important to understand. And then I, my, my the the sadly for me, I believe that for I don't know how long, decades or however long, we have made restrictions in the assembly that that these passages are not giving. Um, It's clear to me that these passages, we've taken some of these things and said, well, there weren't women that were, it was like in, it wasn't in a church assembly. I believe clearly they were in the presence of men. So it's a general observation. And another thing is the concern is, well, well, aren't they taking an authoritative role? And so we talked a lot about, and it's a general observation that speaking doesn't automatically assume or insist on an authoritative role. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't, just because a mouth opens and words come out and so, um, speaking doesn't automatically lead, mean leading with authority over another. Um, now, there, there does come a time and this is what Richard and I were talking about earlier, but there does come a time evidently when it does cross the line to that point. When is that line crossed and so I'll finish my observations you can answer that if you want to Um, when when okay yeah now that kind of speaking should not be happening that's not right evidently there's a type that shouldn't well what kind is it if it's disruptive and disrespectful Um, and you know that, that doesn't happen very often in our assemblies or does it I've been here seven and a half years. I don't remember somebody that was being dist- other than kids sometimes, maybe. Um, do we have experiences with that? I have some in Baton Rouge, um, But it was with men and women. I remember there was a man and at the end of the service he was disgusted with some things that were happening in our church and he was not an elder, not a staff member, not anything, just a a regular member who had been there many years and he got up at the end of the service and went straight to the podium without anybody knowing. He says, look, these things, this, 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 and this, they're wrong. It needs to stop in this church. If you want to come to me and talk to me about it and help us change this church, come to my house tonight. That is the kind of thing that (laughs) I think could apply in that situation. We had one time, I did have one woman that was very chaotic and disruptive in our assembly. She was displeased with our Christmas nativity scene pictures that were up on the wall. Displeased with them because if you see a picture of baby Jesus in the manger, that's a graven image. And she was offended by that. So she decided, if you're going to offend me, I'm going to offend you. And so right in the middle of the service, while I'm preaching, she walks down to the front row. I'm up here. She sits down here, and I'm, I'm sitting right here, and she starts unbuttoning her shirt. And she opens her shirt, and I'm <laughs> preaching in front of one woman with a purple bra staring at me. Thankfully, most of the people didn't know what she was doing, except for the teenagers and the college students. <laughs> that, had a, that, had a, that had a view. And so, uh, and, and sweet Janie, one of her elders' wives, thought, okay, this is for me to take care of. She got up and went over and, and um, tried to escort her away. And she, don't touch me. And she started yelling right in the middle of the church. Well, that was one of my few disruptive moments in the assembly. Um, we typically don't have that. But if, if there is. Um, such chaos and disorder, then yeah, we need. But so, um, where is the line, though, when a woman is speaking that is permissible to where it's a point? Ah, that's not good. She's now at a point of that bossy, domineering. Well, let me just ask that. When, when does that? When does that ha- How do you know when that's happening? Because it, it's not wrong for them to speak. So when do they cross that line and go, oh, because I personally and, and if we get there, I do believe there's some there's something to be said about authority and, and, and male authority and leadership in the church. I, I, I personally believe that's biblical. When does a woman in her speaking cross the line in disregard and disrespect? How can you tell that's happening? The Lord's Supper you got to have one to support it. What do you mean? That it's wrong. Beca- okay, so one example... She is leading and having showing
1: authority. There is an example of one. For some of us, she just doesn't need to be doing
0: that. Yeah. Okay, did you hear it back there? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> did you hear it right there? <laughs> um, one, one example of, of when... A woman has crossed the line into speaking in an authoritative role is in the Lord's Supper. So that would be one example. Now now the, the challenge is is that is that based upon what you see in Scripture? It, it, it doesn't say and when she speaks sharing about the Lord's Supper then and I'm really not trying to talk us into women sharing the Lord's Supper. That's not an agenda I have but I want to talk about that because Why would it be okay for her to prophesy and pray? But think about this. At the Lord's Supper, a woman would stand and say, I just want to share with you what Jesus' death on the cross means to me. And I just want to, to, before we have communion, thank God for that. Does that, is that authoritative? Is that leadership? How, what, what defines that? Because the truth is it feels that way for most of us, doesn't it? It does at the Lord's Supper. And why is it? Of course, maybe if all of it feels that way for us uh, Okay. When a woman has is taking authority that has not been given to her by the leadership of the church. And so are you finished? Yeah, much. Okay, so then if I'm gonna read into what you said, which may be unwise, then are you saying that if you ask Joe Lee <laughs> Thanks, Eddie, to share what Jesus' death on the cross means to her and say a prayer to God of thank you for that. If you ask her to do that, then she's under your authority. And Jolie's saying, ain't happening. (laughs) Okay, say that again. The leadership of the congregation needs... ...to
2: understand what the congregation is comfortable with feeling is right. And so some things may be permissible, but they aren't going to work. They aren't right. We have that that liberty, but we aren't going to hammer it.
0: So, there are some things so so maybe there's a disagreement that one would say, "You know when you stand and you share i, I struggle to see that authoritative it, it, to to share Jesus death on the cross it means this to me, and God thank you for that, and then we t- I can't see that as taking authority, but some do, some don't, but because so many do, therefore we wouldn't so what do you what do you do in that case uh what What do you do in that case um when we say oh, okay, Eddie, I agree. You don't have to, but let's say you do. I agree with everything you said. But if it hurts and offends a good number who aren't comfortable with it, then shouldn't we, for the sake, for their sake, and for the sake of unity, not do those things? So we shouldn't. for For the sake of yeah, well, that's okay. What do you think about that? Forget Richard. Oh dear i'm not being consistent i'm sorry <laughs> oh if i said that I, I apologize for stating it like that yeah because i i believe prayers are sacred prophecy is sacred i believe everything in the assembly is sacred but evidently women are allowed to speak into that sacred nature so that if i said that that was a mistake Is that true? Okay. Why is it true? Good question.
1: I said no. I, I still I still say that the leadership of the church, we, we use them as elders. Right. They set the tone, they set what we do as a practice if they're wrong then we go to them but other than if if it's a question of what the elders have designed and the way they have preached if we violate that we're, we're out of place
0: I'm agreeing with that I'm agreeing with that if I understood it I'm agreeing with the leadership and the eldership of the church have studied the scriptures and they said, we have, based upon what we see in scripture, scriptures, concluded that this is what is appropriate for the practice of this church. And if someone disrespects that and disregards that, then that would be wrong. Even if scripture doesn't clearly say it's wrong, it would be clearly wrong because they're disrespecting the authority of the elders. I would agree with that. So if our elders have stated women are not allowed to for example to speak in communion and a woman just walks up there and does it defiantly anyway, then, then that would be whether whether it's okay for them to speak or not that would be that would be just, that would be a good good example of what we were dealing with here in 1 Timothy, Gary? truth. to speak in the assembly, but when does that permission stop? See, because why is talking here okay, but talking here not? When? And I'm not disagreeing; I'm just saying. Uh, Scott had his hand up.
3: I just have a question Okay. Uh, we talked before about the difference of praying, prophesying, teaching. Preaching. They're all different words used in Greek. And different passages talked about okay for women to pray or prophesy in a proper manner. But from what I've seen, I could be wrong with the question the only example of a woman preaching or teaching another
0: My, my my struggle with that is when I when I look at what prophecy is, that is like speaking to a group of people, men and women, a message from God. They were allowed to do that, but they were told to do that in a manner that was respecting the authority and and, and with regard with respect and submission. But uh, it's, I struggle to see. Because prophecy like that's that's a that's speaking to women and men in a group, so that that uh a message from God, so that's like with a sermon how how is the sermon different from that and I'm not trying to convince us to have a male preacher I'm just wrestling with this, okay because I'll just go ahead and play my card here uh this is my feeling this is and I appreciate what what you said whether It seems to me, I feel this way, there is a feeling to me that, and I have no no power trip over my job, but it seems to me that my position as the preaching minister, or on my door it says senior minister, uh, it seems to me, I don't see the Bible clarifying that, but it seems to me that's an authority position and for a woman to have that, to me, crosses that line. But you hear what I'm saying? It feels that, and I can't say because it says in this passage. Uh, but it, perhaps that's cultural. How do you know when you've crossed that? Timmy, is your hand up?
2: Yeah.
4: So this is really complex. I mean, like, like most issues, of the
0: social issues that we deal with in our Mm-hmm. Um, so this is complex, not something you can easily solve. So, you know, not something that you can say it's this
4: or this. The whole thing that you try to convey through our look at scripture is that you know that there's this issue of authority and respect. If there is a principle of male spiritual leadership, which I believe there is as well, well, then what does that mean? Well, there, there's male spiritual leadership um, in regards to uh, the church or the congregation as a whole, right? So I guess if I can try to shorten this to some degree, to use an analogy, if We had a man that got up and did something that was disruptive or...
0: To be that it was the women that were that were creating that, but yeah, I believe a man can be can lack respect to the authority of this church and behave. And when that happens, that happens. What's the difference between tradition and doctrine? What's the difference between tradition and doctrine? And you're asking because. All right, and so your point is are we going down that trail? and what are we going down the trail of creating tradition uh, taking tradition and have we made it into dogma. church doctrine and church dogma and law that the bible hasn't stated and you're thinking maybe perhaps we have in what ways
5: Tradition becomes doctrine and doctrine becomes dogma and, and, and that was Jesus' biggest point against the Pharisees.
0: huge no no question about that and how do you see possibly? Doctrine,
5: we can go back, and if it's something that God says no or yes, he's going to say it more than one time, multiple times, and he's very explicit. We're sitting here chasing the bush on something that is not defined in the Bible as yes or no. Are we making tradition, because that's our cultural
0: tradition, into a doctrinal state. And see the challenge the challenge is that that's definitely this is a monstrous problem for Jesus. He really got on his nerves. Um, the different the challenge will be while you will say we're taking something the Bible has not given a yes or no to and we're giving it a yes or no and this person sits over here and says, No, the Bible has given a yes or no on that. And but and, and so that's part of the challenge and another part of the challenge is is I remember Jack Talkington walking into my office in Baton Rouge and he said he could not handle a praise team on the stage. It was wrong. It was wrong. But he said, "Hey, I don't have a scripture for it. <laughs> but it's wrong. And he says, I know, I know I'm probably wrong for saying that, but it's wrong. And it's wrong because that just... It feels wrong. It feels wrong. And so that's when, how much of this is sh- truly scripture is clarifying this? Uh let me get back to this other question i want to ask cuz this is a really important question even if we all agree a women should be allowed to speak in multiple ways here but we have a small group let's say 50 people here that would offend and so we should not allow that well, what do you, how, do you, how how do you how do you stay consistent uh with that, um, some will say some will say you're, 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 the whole church is being held captive by the traditional views of some. Um, I, I'm a, I'd like
1: to make a comment. I think the way that they do it is in very
0: say the way that they do it is in very, very small bites. What do you mean?
1: Okay. If I don't want, I decide I want women to do, have full permission for everything. You start out with a little bit, and then another, and another one, and another one. And I'm going to say it, that's happening in this congregation with music
0: and so that's a good thing because it's gradually bringing people that way or it seems like a subtle agenda that's not good
1: okay, well the way that we get things done when we're going to change is to take small bites
0: and that's a good thing
1: I'm not saying it's good or bad but
0: <laughs> oh, <laughs> because well, here's, what, here's what I mean by that If if we conclude this is right to do but if you just dump it all on everybody at one time. That's a shock. And so let's gradually, and people go, oh, okay, this, is, this isn't bad. Oh, the, what I was scared of is not so bad. As You're saying, so in that sense, I think that's okay. But in another sense, if we're trying to create change and we have this hidden agenda and we're not open and transparent about it, then that's not healthy. But you feel like perhaps that's happening with music. Yeah.
2: There's a a broader question to me. And it's one that that we we struggle with because because we can't look clearly back 2,000 years. What we can certainly see is the way the church changed over a 1,500 year period before the before the uh, the Reformation occurred and it was one of taking the mass if you'd like if you use the Roman Catholic term for it uh, or or worship if you like and constantly making it more and more sacred now it is sacred in that we are coming before God and we are and, and we are meeting together to worship God. But are we taking and making that ultra safe to where if where we fear that if we were to not do things exactly correctly the way we've decided correct is that God would smite us. Would we be condemned by God because we didn't say the ritual words correctly? In the Roman Catholic Church, and in the Eastern Orthodox Church, both the Eastern and Western Churches, that was the way it grew. And we have such a fuzzy window, such a dirty window, look into the church in its first 40, 50 years, and all we can judge it by is the looking, at what we can see clearly, and we, we approach the Sunday morning worship service still too much the way the Eastern and Western churches
0: it so sounds like you're, you're kind of playing off, you're agreeing with Jeff. Various traditions have developed that have become sacred law and to violate, which are not sacred law in Scripture, but they've so developed that to violate those would be to to defy God. And one, one example uh, and when we, we start dealing so with Scripture uh, is
2: Martin Luther versus Calvin. Martin Luther would say, if the scripture doesn't prohibit it, it's okay
0: to do it. Can you hear? Calvin would say, if the scripture does not tell us
2: we must do it, we can't do it. There's such a tremendous difference in freedom between those two extremes. Our branch of the church is more Calvinistic in that respect than Lutherans. Uh, Lutherans would be much freer with what they can do in a worship service. Oh, they aren't necessarily. They're as laid in concrete as we are. But we're more fearful that if we can't find an example in the scripture that demands that we must do it, then we must not
0: Mm-hmm. yeah that, that's kind of going back to what you were saying there's no example or scripture that says that women did this and therefore we shouldn't there, and then you said that,
2: that when we approach our Sunday morning worship with that opinion we're approaching the Sunday morning worship with fear and by that I mean
0: that we're going to do something wrong rather than what. So, and and just,
4: uh, Tim? You asked, so if, if there's a group of people that are not comfortable or think it's wrong, then, you know, what do we do? Do we not implement that even though okay. And I, I guess I would say that that also is not an issue that is easily solved. In fact, I would say that it's probably one of the most difficult things that we deal with as, uh, as shepherds. Is what do we do? We've got people on opposite ends of the spectrum on things like this. Because choosing one means you're choosing against. getting your way, it's about, uh, it's about being willing to be understanding about what that person who believes differently from you uh, believes.
0: So it could be a heart attitude, but what, what if it's a good heart attitude, but it's just a deep-seated conviction of what they see in Scripture? On both sides. Because sometimes I hear, well, we're just, you know, the squeaky wheel. You know, Well, is it fair to call them the squeaky wheel? Could it be people who really love God and love his word, and they believe this is what the word of God says? And could these people love God and love his word? You know, and so that's, that's... That's
1: why I say that's very
0: tough. Yeah, yeah. An example with the, with the music. Um, we've played a music accompaniment during Communion. And some have said, Please don't do that anymore. That offends me during communion. Another comes up and says to me, Please do that more often. That makes communion so inspirational to me. Now, I cannot with scripture say it's wrong, but I got who I, I gotta choose whom to offend. I got I got one person that came to my office who truly loves God truly loves God and truly loves God's word there's no malicious unkind spirit at all and cried begging me for us to never let women speak during the communion begged and said Eddie if we do that I'll leave I got an email in my in my computer of someone that left because we don't allow that I personally cannot open the Bible and say a woman. It's, I, I personally don't see that as wrong, as an authoritative thing to share what it means about. But then, okay, so how do we decide that? Um, we're really choosing whom to lose. Right?
1: We had a purge before you came.
0: We had a purge.
1: Yeah, <laughs> put up a screen, and 10 or 15 would thunder
0: out. 10 or 15 left because we put up a screen.
1: And Put people up on the stage to sing. A bunch more left. One song started out with a female solo, some left with that. I mean, you know, if you want to have a congregation of 15, put a woman, a woman on the stage with a guitar and have her speak. You'll <laughs> have 15 left to talk to.
0: Yeah, and so, so in order. Finish
1: your story. Finish your what you say. Two or three. This is out of opinions, second
0: opinions, chapter four. <laughs> two or three gathered in my name, there will be a fight. Where two or three gathered in my name, there will be a fight. Uh, um, and Tim, Tim said, well, a number of times, this is complicated, it's difficult. And some of you will disagree with me on this, but to some degree, there, there's some grayness and subjectivity of when those... Uh, no, Richard, you had a question. Did, did we really address that? What was your question at the beginning? Here's the question.
5: When is a woman permitted to speak and have authority over a man? And when is she not permitted to speak and have authority over a man? When is it sin and when is it not?
0: Okay, so let, let's... When is a woman permitted to speak and have authority over a man and when is she not? When is it sin? Okay, so is that a... So first of all, I, I would just like to... Lay out what I believe we've already covered. Her s- simply speaking doesn't necess- necessarily mean she's having authority. Is that right? Can a can a woman speak in the assembly and not be authoritative? Yeah. Or is it by speaking? Because because if uh, do you understand why I'm asking that?
2: You mentioned that by your position you have authority
1: as a priest.
0: Yeah, so when when and, and I said that's a feeling I have. I can't say, and see it, it, says Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. So when, when do you know that? When's that line crossed? Is that what you're asking? Because I just want to clarify, I would not think it'd be wise to put into that question, speaking is automatic authority. So when does it become that usurping authority? When? When does that happen? That's a really good question. Is that, is that your question, right? The centurion told Jesus. The Serpentarian told Jesus exactly when that happens.
2: I have authority over people. I tell my servant go, and he doesn't. If a woman gets up there and says, "I'm telling you, do this now," that's authoritative.
0: Okay, so 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 that line is crossed from Jeff's perspective when a direct, when a command or imperative is given, telling people what they should do. I would say another clear time we've already seen in Scripture is when, when it. It's disrespectful and disregards authority. And can we tell when that's happening? Yeah. I mean, we can tell, can't we? It
2: might be subtle, I think in general,
0: yeah, usually you can tell. But that's, that's kind of hard. That's kind of hard. Um, sorry, my, my text message went off. Say that again?
5: If a woman has been given authority, can she not exercise that authority? I mean, I, we have Lorene uh, basically running the children's program. Uh, what would be the issue if a man came in who didn't have authority over the program and began to tell her what she should be doing with that program? I mean, I think it's a two-way street.
0: Yeah, I actually work in the children's ministry right now, so I'm under her authority, I guess you might say. It,
5: it's, not necessarily a question of of male or female. It's who has the authority and usurping, the, and whether or
0: not. Uh huh. I think Tim Tim was addressing that earlier. A man can do this. A man could be usurping it. I think this position, this position of the senior minister, whatever you want to call me, it's a feeling. That's a That word I just used, feeling, is really important word. Scott? I think also, uh, you mentioned before, like in
3: verse 11, it was a matter of their culture determining what they were doing right or wrong, head covering whatever was based on their culture.
0: It seemed like culture played into that, didn't it? Yeah.
3: So in the same respect, is it possible that what our culture might determine as authoritative, that's what that could be crossed the line? <laughs> right right now you're standing up with a microphone facing us leading a class our culture would, be true, would say that's a authority position I believe
0: yeah you believe thank you and yeah
3: I think that in that case if everyone else agreed that that was an authority position because the culture books that as the authority then that would, then the scripture say that you're wrong from the
0: It it does seem to me, biblically speaking, that the culture and how it's perceived plays a role in that. It, it seems to me that way. Yeah, yeah. But now, but there again, is is that is that objective? Is that really clear? It is. So I'll just I'll just say this um, before I don't get a chance to. <laughs> What I mean is, time's going to run out. I'll I'll actually read it. Because of the varying opinions and interpretations. Because there's a lot of wiggle here. There's a lot of feeling. There's a lot of subjectivity. What's the difference between a sermon and a preaching and a woman giving a testimony? Because I have seen women get up here standing alone and, and sharing their testimony or talking about fostering hope or hope in home or whatever, and... Speaking during that twenty to thirty-minute period of time, uh, but I don't know why I'm getting off on that. But it never felt like an authoritative thing of preaching that would be a violation. But I, b- I believe this. I believe ultimately this has to be a decision of the elders of a church. It has. It is up to the bold leadership of the shepherds not to determine teaching and practice from various opinions or current trends, like Gary was speaking about. Well, it's just growing in our, no that's not where leadership should look but our leadership must look to scripture work through these scriptures and um, determine and communicate this is what we see in scripture this is how it will look in practice this is our vision um, I, I, I think when it when it comes to this uncertainty and their feelings and what culture says it just I think it comes down to the the challenging decision of of bold leadership with the elders, study the scripture, teach the scripture as as we're, we've been attempting to do, but never, never with the attitude and if you don't like it, then leave i 've seen leadership communicate like that that's that that's not um, um, I don't believe that's appropriate i and so i i believe i believe well, what do you do when you have this group here and this group here i believe it's just a matter of the elders who we've given leadership to study scripture communicate scripture this is what we believe is right in the practice of this church and this is why and we love you we don't want you to leave we want you to stay we don't want you to be hurt um and let's go to Scripture together. And I think, I, think, I think clarity on that needs to be communicated. And I know, I know, Richard, you and I have talked about that. Is that. So there's not ambiguity uh, about that. Yeah, so clear that we teach it. Uh, and then I think right now there is some clarity in the sense of, um, but it probably could be better communicated. Um. Any any final questions or thoughts? And see, it was kind of, kind of, when it gets down to the practical application, it's kind of complicated. I had no problem going through 1 Corinthians 11, 14, and 1 Timothy 2 with you at all. But then how that looks here, it's complicated. And that's why our, our elders have to make that decision, communicate the decision in love, and, um, and we have the attitudes of respect as, as, towards one another. And you decide, that's a violation. That's a violation for me, biblically speaking. You have to decide that. Um, any other thoughts or questions or, um, that might come from this that you have of relevance or application? Alice? Um, I think of two words, the mission and division. I think of two words, the mission And division. And division. God hates division, he wants it and he wants us well, he wants it to be submissive. Right, and the problem with the church is that we're
3: so busy.
0: The problem with the church is we're so busy.
3: Fighting about little
5: things to me that are immaterial.
0: Fighting about little things that are immaterial.
5: Not worried about the lost.
0: And not worried about the lost.
1: Thinking
5: about the lost.
0: Thinking about the lost. It's
5: causing trouble. And they don't want to be in a congregation that's all
2: fighting about.
0: Them. Right. They don't want to be in a congregation that's all fighting about. Them. This is why I stopped in First Timothy 2 and he said, All this is going on, you're losing sight of your mission. You stay focused. Not that we, but, but the truth is, we need to talk about these things, but not fight about these things. So I think this is a good attitude in which we do that. But if we lose sight of our mission, yeah yeah this is not our gospel but um, but it is but we do care about what scripture says for our practice in the church and so how we go about that thank you is important other other thoughts or questions
5: jesus spends
2: three chapters in john talking to his disciples
0: jesus spends three chapters in john talking to his disciples
2: love and unity
0: love and unity
5: and if we Forget
0: Forget the so those that believe it's okay for women to speak, we should love in love and unity. Let that happen. Those that believe it's not okay, we for for love and love and unity should not let that happen. How do how do how do you? That's that's. What I've never gotten up one time in the morning and said to Karen, "One day I want to be an elder." Because <laughs> how, how do you how do you maintain unity? with those and I just think you have to have bold leadership and say here's what the word of God says here's what we believe we love you and but we are not violating scripture and here's and I think um, but there has to be there has to be somebody make some concrete decisions on on some things that the Bible's not so concrete about I guess am I right? Um, I have other thoughts we could have talked about, but we're not going to, just in case you brought about Phoebe or Junia or all that. Um, Pardon? You're going to bring bring Junia (laughs) up. It's too late. Well, that's not accurate. Um, So, there's clarity in Scripture, but there's a lack of concrete clarity in how it looks in practice because it has some levels of subjectivity according to cultural understandings according to personal upbringing and those vary from person to person and so that's the challenge that's where love and unity must prevail and that's where the leadership of the eldership has to has to lead in that way for us and I I believe that they are but maybe if we need more clarity great uh, um so I have done my job of at least communicating those three passages. <laughs> and we've wrestled with the application and we've seen it's not. And so because it's not so, it may be clear cut to you, but, it, but, but there is some, some levels of ambiguity and subjectivity that I think it should allow for a lot of grace uh, that we should have towards one another in these disagreements. So let me lead us in a prayer. Father, I think that the first thing I want to say in this prayer is I want to pray to you tonight for our shepherds, for Mike and for Mark and for Tim and for Jake and for Bill and for Alan and for Bob and for Ted. We thank you for these men who are are willing to to take on this daunting task of leading a church family such as ours. It's not hard for us to see that this can be challenging, especially going through this pandemic, especially going through these issues that we've been talking about in this class or other issues. Father, we lift them up to you and we pray that you will lead them that they may lead us. We pray that you will give them wisdom in the decisions they need to make and courage to carry out those decisions. We pray that you will show us how we can be supportive to them in their role. Lord, as as Alice was saying, that is so important, keep us focused on our mission. Sure, we'll talk about these issues, we'll discuss them, but let us keep plowing forward with the gospel of Jesus Christ and reaching the lost may we never lose sight of that and may you um, embed in our hearts and transform in our hearts love and respect for one another in these areas of, of different understandings and disagreements And help us know how to move forward as a church according to the leadership of the Holy Spirit as revealed to us in Scripture. You have told us again and again to not to make our decisions and live our lives and carry our practice according to the ways of the world. Lord, keep us always steadfast, focused on you according to the wisdom you've given us in your word. We pray that for this church and for our individual lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.